Hello, everyone. Welcome to God Talk with Tara. I am Tara. We're going to dive in with prayer and then we're going to kind of get going on tonight. Father God, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, and for your light. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Hmm. I pray that you would go before me in my own mind and in the minds of those who are listening to this, Lord God. I pray that you would open ears and hearts and minds to the things that you would say to us tonight. I pray, Father, that the words that I speak would not be mine, but that they would be yours, that I would be small and Jesus would be magnified. I pray, Father, for wisdom and for discernment for all of those listening for me as I speak. Father, your word is, is sometimes hard. And Paul in particular, Father God, is sometimes difficult. The book of Romans is a call to something, Father, more than what we are able to imagine on our own. And yet it wades through some deep and troubled waters. And Father, we anticipate that you will meet us there. That as we wade through these times together, as we wade through these issues together, as we wade through your word, Father God, seeking not what we desire to find, but seeking only your truth, Lord, because that is our deepest desire. Father, I pray that you would bring revelation. I pray that you would speak clarity to your people so that we would be able to go and proclaim the righteousness of God the glory of Jesus Christ, the wonder of your gospel, Father God, to a world that is drowning. We love you, Lord, with all that we are, and we ask this in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. So we are going to dive straight into the sin part now. Um, <laughs> as JD has mentioned about Romans, um, we, we get to a couple of weeks of just wading through the muck. Uh, there, there's several weeks where we're going to walk through Paul's writing about sin to the Romans. And it can get a little heavy feeling. That was why last time we, we focused on the beginning of the story. Um, I'd mentioned in one of the Facebook posts that part of good storytelling is tension and understanding wickedness and understanding heroes and understanding villains and protagonists. And, and so we see things like the Lord of the Rings, where we begin with the goodness. We begin with things as they should be. We begin with the, the understanding and the knowledge that there is good. And then we are introduced to the reality of evil and wickedness and the destruction that comes from it. And all along the way, we are still pointed to the good. We are pointed to the good that is still present, that is resisting wickedness. And we are pointed towards the end where redemption is found, where good triumphs. And this is God, too. Paul was a master storyteller. Um, he is is possibly one of the best writers in scripture in reality as confusing as he can sometimes be he is a very very good storyteller he is good at laying things out in such a way that he draws you into what he's speaking in ways that give you vivid descriptions of where he's leading you and his goal is always to take you from the recognition of the majesty and the glory of god 
through our sorry state and back into the amazing and wonderful news that God calls us out of our darkness and into his light. And so when we look at Romans, it's very easy as we get into the part that is very long on sin and gets into details about wickedness and gets into details about how um, how horrible sin is, it's very easy for us to get drawn into that part and focused on the sins. And because we are in our own right, wicked people, uh, when we're not functioning as emissaries of Christ, when our mind is not fully fixed on Jesus and his mission, our tendency is to read Romans as a laundry list of accusations that we should be using to level against those who are not behaving as they ought. That it is a laundry list of things we should be looking at in our fellow Christians and in the world around us and pointing our finger and telling them, you terrible, terrible sinner, you're going to hell. And I gotta say, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is not the gospel as Paul gives it in Romans. We miss the point if we get stuck in Romans 1 or 2 or 3 for that matter. But at the same time, we can't skip over it. Because sin is a reality. The specific sins that, that Paul calls out here in Romans are a reality, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it is a full enough list that there are things we can learn from it. So we're going to read the scripture tonight. I'm actually going to start with the beginning, not the Romans 1 1, but we're going to look at the two verses at the end of where we left off. And we're just going to stop at the end of Romans 1 for right now while we discuss, but we're going to move on to Romans 2 1 4 after that. And I want you to keep some things in mind as we look at this. Um, I want you to listen, and, and it's a lot of scripture, it's a lot of verses. I know one of the pastors was like, if I read all of these verses, my congregation's going to you know, be really upset with me. And I'm like, uh, my congregation gets to hear lots and lots of scripture because I like to read lots of scripture. Um, so y'all are just going to have to listen tonight. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to look at this, but as we listen to the scripture here, I want you to keep in mind what Paul is talking about. So Paul is talking about people. He's talking about men and women who are beloved children. Well, no, they're not. Mm. Because they've not yet been given the right to be called children of God because they've not accepted Jesus Christ. And yet, the word says that we as human beings are beloved of God, even when we are still sinners. When we have not yet made that transition from being creation to God's children, God still loves us. 
He loves us so much that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. That is the gospel. And so what Paul is describing here is men and women who are in a state of not having accepted grace yet. Of not having accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Of still being under the wrath of God. Of still being trapped in bondage to sin. He is describing men and women who are still in rebellion. And God's reaction to that rebellion and what happens to those men and women as they continue to rebel against God. And so I want you to think about this and I want you to listen to the words of Romans 1, 18 to 32. And I want you to think of somebody that you love dearly that is in rebellion against you or against God. I want you to think of someone you love dearly who is turned away from where they need to be. I want you to think of yourself before you knew Jesus Christ. For some of you, that's going to be hard. Some of you have been walking with Jesus since you were six years old. Um, you professed him as Lord and Savior when you, you were little, and you have not really gone through a point in your life where you have not known Jesus as your Lord. And I praise God for you. I really do. You know people that you can think of who are in the boat that I'm talking about. But for those of you who are like me, who ran away from God, I want you to remember that time before, before the light of Christ came and illuminated your way home. And I want you to keep these things in your mind as we read this passage from Romans. So, the version we're reading out of in, in the Romans text, um, I actually really like it, but I love the way this passage ends in the English Standard Version. So, I'm going to read that here tonight, so I'm not reading it to you twice. Um, but I encourage you to look up the, I think it's called the Open English Bible. Um at openenglishbible.org if you would like to see a slightly different and really illuminating translation of this. But for now, we're going to go with the ESV um, at Bible Gateway. I love Bible Gateway. And we're going to start at 16 to remind us that this list that we're going through is not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is God's righteousness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to remember right here, it is not your righteousness 
that is revealed in the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And that is the power of God for salvation. Now, now remember to keep those people in mind I was talking about. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now I want to ask you something. Normally when we read this, particularly in the context, like I mentioned last week of, of conflict over who, human sexuality within the church and, and how to handle that, we read this as a laundry list of they. And Paul uses that word, right? They do these things. They claim to be wise and they become fools and they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. They do these things, not you and I, right? But who are the they that he's talking about? I don't know about you. But I know that when I was running away from God, I lusted in my heart and I did impure things and dishonorable things. I had dishonorable passions. I was not inclined towards women. I was not, but I was a fornicator, which is condemned elsewhere. 
I was not a good person. There were times when I had malice and envy in me and God knows I gossiped. And while I would not have called myself a hater of God, the fact is I was a lover of the world. And the word says that I can't love the world. It makes me hate God. I was certainly insolent and haughty and boastful and disobedient to my parents. And the Lord knows that I was foolish and faithless. I don't think I was usually heartless or ruthless. Hmm. There might be those who disagree with me about that. Because you hear, you, you see, there's, there's a truth. That before Jesus came to rescue me, I was drowning in the sin that permeates it's, it's an ocean all around us. And the wrath of God comes against that ocean. It comes against the sinfulness in the world. And yet, he does not want to destroy those of us who are stuck there. He wants to rescue us out of that. And this is why there is still these things in the world, because he is rescuing those who are perishing with the proclamation of the gospel. This is not a laundry list. I want you to hear me. This is not a laundry list for you to point your fingers. This is a cry. This is something that, you know, as I was studying for this, the words that I wrote down that go with this is not that, that's, sin is supposed to be first self-reflective. So we mentioned that you can't take the speck out of your brother's eye until you've taken the log out of your own. So first, before we start looking for the sins in other people, before we start saying the they, right, we need to make sure that we are in a place where we are identifying any of these things in ourselves. And remember, this is not a comprehensive list. When Paul says inventing ways of doing evil, how many of you know that we invent ways of doing evil? That you and I do things that are not on this list, but are certainly not within the will of God. That separate us from him. That turn us to worshiping the creature instead of the creator. That turn us to idolatry. This whole thing, by the way, that's the core of it. That's the base of it. That people turn to idolatry. Instead of God and God allowed them to and that the consequence of that turning that consequence of rejecting the consequence of not accepting the Lord for who he is, is that we become foolish and futile in our thinking and our hearts become dark. And therefore our actions become absorbed more and more with wickedness and sinfulness. We become subject. We become subject. And we're going to come to that in just a minute because I had an interesting experience last week. But what I wrote out here is that seeing sin is not a time for anger at other people. 
It's not a time for jubilation to point at this list and see, see, I told you, God hates that. God hates you. God hates this. That is a sin and you are a sinful, sinful person. You are unrighteous and the wrath of God is coming against you. That is not what this is for. We're not to rejoice in the pain and the bondage of other people who God loves and who Jesus died for. And it is not a time for condemnation. But seeing sin is a time for compassion. Jesus Christ had compassion on those who were trapped in sin. He loved them and went to them and offered them a way out. He offered them rescue from the wrath of God that was on all unrighteousness of men. He offered them rescue through his blood and through his sacrifice, just like he did for you. It is a time for sorrow and grieving because I got to tell you, who is the person that you had in your mind when you were thinking about this? Who is the person that is in rebellion that you love desperately and desire to be rescued and to be saved and to be set on a path that would bring them into joy and peace and the love of God? Who is that person? Because every single person on the planet, God created them and he loves them. And he feels 10 times more love toward them than you possibly can toward the person you're thinking of. And right now, for the whoever that is, whether it's yourself as a younger person or whether it is somebody that you love, your heart is breaking. Sin is not a time for jubilation. It is a time for sorrow and grieving. Because God's heart is breaking for the pain and the damage and the alienation that such things are causing between him and those he is calling to be rescued. Sin is a time for humility. Because this is about leveling here. This thing that, that, that Paul is doing, these descriptions that he's giving. While there are many sins on this list that were not common among the church that he was writing to, I guarantee you there are sin, sins on this list that they were tolerating. Gossip and envy, malice towards one another, strife. Strife is just being snotty toward one another starting fights, being angry at one another, haughty. This list here is not a them list. It is an us list. It is an every person list. And when we see this list, when we see these sins, it's not a time to point fingers. It's a time of humility to recognize that we were that list. And even if we have come to a place now where we are in Romans 8 and where we have recognized but Jesus Christ and we have begun to come to a place where we walk worthy of the righteousness to which we've been called, 
That hasn't always been true. And it is only by God's grace. It is only by a turning to him. It is only through Jesus Christ and his propitiation and his salvation. It is only through his lordship that we have escaped the slavery to sin that these that we're talking about here are still trapped in. And seeing sin is a time to testify to the hope of Christ. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. So it was really interesting that as I was studying this passage and preparing to, to speak on this, last Tuesday, um, Corey and I had an opportunity to go to the movies. We drove down to Hampton uh, to see Nefarious. And if you have not seen Nefarious, you should. It's a horror movie. It's not a gory horror movie. It's not a, it's not what you typically would see in a horror movie, but it's exceedingly well done. It's intended to be an understanding of demonic possession, a real understanding, not a fake understanding and not all the, you know, head spinning and that kind of thing, but a look at what it might look like if someone were possessed. It was interesting because I walked out of the theater before we walked out of the theater, before we had even hit the door out, I pulled Corey to the side in the hallway and prayed over all of us, over him and I and everyone else that had been in the theater, that anything that touched us in that place would be bound and cast out because it was that effective in the portrayal of what it would look like. The gentleman that played the main character in that was phenomenally good and the script was extremely well done in those interchanges um and what really struck me what really struck me were a few of the moments where the man who was possessed was able to come to the surface and speak where it wasn't the demon talking it was this weeping, terrified child who had no control over what was going on in his life and who was being punished for something that a demon had been making him do and who had been so beaten down and broken by his slavery to wickedness and sinfulness that he was hopeless and there was nobody there to offer him hope it broke my heart watching that movie I wanted to weep for the man who is fictional not real it is a rare thing for me to want to weep at a movie and yet what it brought to mind as the demon sat and described how it was he had come to inhabit this man, he described little decisions, small things that before the boy even knew what he was doing, he was turning from God 
and he was worshiping created things. He was turning from God and rejecting the glory and the majesty of the Lord and his protection. And suddenly he was so far down in the wickedness that this demon had drawn him into that there was no way out, that he was buried in a debased mind and filled with unrighteousness and evil and wickedness. Not his own, although I'm sure there was much of that too. You have to understand most wicked people don't start out looking to be evil. And most of them don't enjoy it. They are trapped in minds that have turned from God, in hearts that have been darkened and hardened because they are in rebellion, because they don't recognize their need. And they are trapped and dying and flailing and thrashing and they do damage and they hurt people and they are heartless and ruthless and faithless and foolish. But they are people that somebody loves. They are people that God loves. They are people that we are called to love. They are people that we are called to offer hope to. They are people that are not in a place of joy. When we think about this, when we, when you think about people being darkened, I understand that, you know, they, they, God says that they should die and, and not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I understand that we react to this angrily. We react to this with wrath because we think to ourselves, oh, these people are causing so much damage to the innocent. We, we get angry at this. But the fact of the matter is, is that, that these people are not taking delight in this. They are trapped in lust that they mistake for love. They are trapped in deceit that they may mistake for truth. They are trapped in maliciousness that they, they think of as self-protection. They are trapped in envy and entitlement without ever realizing that the things that they desire will never fill the hole that is in them, that is dying for something, that is longing for something, that is crying out, that they are stuffing everything they possibly can into that space to try to fill it. And they are still voracious because nothing can satisfy them. These are not people that we should look upon with judgment and wrath and anger. They are people that we should look upon with compassion and pity and the love of God. And that brings us to the next part. We're going to jump over to chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at that in the CEB version. We're going to look at Romans 2, 1 through 4, and then we're going to wrap it up tonight. Therefore, now this is after this very long list of 
they do these things. Therefore, you have nothing to say in your own defense. Whoever you are who set yourself up as a judge. In judging others, you condemn yourself. For you who set yourself up as a judge do the very same things. And we know that God's judgment falls unerringly on those who do them. You who judge those that do such things and yet are yourself guilty of them, do you suppose that you of all people will escape God's judgment? Or do you think lightly of his abundant kindness, patience, and forbearance, not realizing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The long lists of sin that Paul puts here in Romans is not meant for the condemnation of the world. It's not meant for the condemnation of the wicked. It's not meant for us to point our fingers and to grow angry and strident, to practice strife and maliciousness, to become insolent and haughty in our belief that we are righteous, to gossip about one another and slander one another on the grounds that those people are faithless and foolish and heartless anyhow. We are to recognize that God is the judge. Does he set us up to judge between what is right and wrong in our own actions and to help our brothers and sisters to walk in righteousness? Yes, he does. But it is not up to you to determine that the people who disagree with you or the people who are practicing evil things are so far gone that God does not love them and that it is okay to rejoice at their fall. That is not up to us. It is not up to us to behave with a lack of compassion to those who are under God's judgment. Even as we warn them that there is a thing, that there is the wrath of God and that there is a judgment of God. Even as we warn them of those things, it is not our job to rejoice in that. It is not our job to condemn them. It is not our job to take delight in that. It is our job to have compassion and pity and offer them the hope of Christ because, because the kindness of God, the patience of God is not meant as license for these things in our hearts any more than it's meant as license in their hearts. It is meant to bring us to repentance. God provides kindness. Do you know that you as a Christian, as a Christ image bearer, as an ambassador for Jesus, you are a part of the kindness of God that is designed to draw people to repentance but first we have to repent ourselves and keep ourselves turned 
toward God. Repentance is not a dirty word where we get on our knees and we grovel before the Lord. That is not repentance. His kindness is meant to draw us to him and away from our idols, away from the things we worship, whether that worship is of fishes and animals and people statues, or whether that worship is our self-righteousness and our desire to point our fingers at them. It is time for us to focus our eyes on Christ, to turn ourselves to God, and to follow him where he leads us. And as we do that, we will be confronted with those who are under the wrath of God, who are drowning in the sea of wrath. And it is our responsibility to the Jews and the Gentiles, to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to the barbarians and the educated. It is our job to be God's kindness and mercy in that sea of wrath, to invite them to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to climb on the lifeboat that he has provided to be rescued out of that drowning sea of sin that is oppressing them and to be ushered into the light and the grace and the life and the way and the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to figure out how to do that. And Paul is going to walk us through some of that as we continue on. Father God, please give us eyes to see the way that you see. Please help us to understand sin for what it is, that it is a separation from you and that it is to be pitied, Father God. That we are called to have compassion on those who do not yet know you. We are called to have compassion on those who claim to know you but have darkened hearts and distorted minds, Father God. We are called to love them as you love them, to be a beacon, Father God. When your word says that when someone keeps on sinning, we are to put them out of the congregation and treat them as we do the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus came to save the tax collectors and the sinners. We're not called to cut off people from you and from hope, Father God. We are simply called not to continue to condone the things they are doing until they come to a place of repentance and turning to you, Lord. And we can't help them come to that place if we break relationship and turn away from them. Father, help us to be your hands and your feet your voice and your light and your love and your grace. Help us, Lord God, to be the image bearers that you have created us to be. Help us to stand firm, Lord God, in the truth of your word, to not shy away from speaking of sin and 
describing what it is, Lord God, and being firm about what your word says about sin and helping people to see and know and understand. But Lord God, let us do that with gentleness and with compassion, with kindness and forbearance that draws people to you, Father God. Because that's why we're still here. Peter says that you are not slow as we count slowness. That you are patient, waiting until all who will come to you would be rescued because you don't desire that any would perish. Father God, help us to understand that your patience and your kindness, Lord, is meant to allow for people to be able to come to you, to draw people to repentance, and that, Father, we are meant to be part of that. Father, help us to be good ambassadors for your kingdom. Give us courage and boldness, Father God, to stand firmly on your word, even when those we know and love don't agree with us. And when there will be many across all sides of the religious and non-religious who will hate us for that. Father, help us to stand. Give us your spirit and help us to know what to speak. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.